Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm author and publisher Tracy L. Slatten. It's my belief that the most interesting, creative, and original voices today are heard outside of the big corporations, studios, and galleries. Individuals of courage, inspiration, and vision are seizing the opportunities to create and promote their art themselves. I'm here to support them and to bring their stories to you. On this show, I'll interview independent artists of all kinds, unusual thinkers, and even some healers about their process. How do they do it? How do they start with an idea and bring it to life in the world? This show intends to illuminate the journey. Feel free to call in to 516-453-6052 with questions or live chat with me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers. Great to have you with us. L. Slatten, hosting Independent Artists and Thinkers. I'm so happy to welcome you to the show. We've got a great show lined up for you today. I'm also really happy that so many people are listening to the show live and in the archives and in the iTunes podcast channel. So thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And I hope you're having fun because I sure am. I created this show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations. As the intro to the show says, I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in creativity, fresh ideas, unusual perspectives, originality, and this show aims to bring you models of people who embody those qualities. Something I've been thinking about the last few months, and I'm going to put it out there, and that is this. Every spiritual act is an act of defiance in a materialistic world. So go out, be kind, be peaceful. It's defiant. Also, please do call in with questions or comments to 516-453-6052. You can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash independentartistthinkers, and the chat room's open, so say hello. Email me in between shows if you'd like to suggest a guest or have me ask questions for a particular guest. You can reach me at tracy at tracylslatin.com, and Tracy is spelled T-R-A-C-I. Also, I want to let you know that these podcasts are now available on Blueberry, B-L-U-B-R-R-Y, and Stitcher, as well as on the iTunes podcast channel. You can also find them on Overcast.fm, so there are a lot of ways to listen in. In the coming weeks, some fascinating guests are coming on. Tune in, keep checking the website, independentartistthinkers.com, and the Blog Talk radio page to find out who will be on the show. I am so delighted and honored today to have actor Rory Clark as our guest. Rory Clark is a Jamaican-born actor raised in New York City and Mizawa, Japan, where he studied the disciplines of kabuki theater. How cool is that? Returning to the States, he continued acting at the Uta Hagen Studio and Terry Schreiber Studio. Rory has performed in various theaters around the city, such as the Lark Theater at Lincoln Center, and recently, Someone Who Will Watch Over Me by Frank McGinnis at Polaris North Theater. He's known for American Gangster, Salt, Righteous Kill, and the other guys. 
He starred in Better Days Ahead, Brutus, and Pigeon. He is a lover of beef patties and coffee. He lives in New York City and Los Angeles. And he was most recently, um, he modeled in my husband Sabin Howard's World War I Memorial. Um, and he's portraying one of the members of the, um, of the Harlem Hellfighters who were so instrumental in World War I that few people know about. So you can find out more about Rory on imdb.com and also on YouTube and Facebook. Look for Rory Clark, R-O-R-Y, and Clark is C-L-A-R-K-E with an E. Um, and his email is RoryClarkInc at AOL.com. Rory, hello. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. <clears throat> Thanks for having me, Tracy. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. So here's my usual opening question, and I know you have good ideas about it because we talked before. Um, and it's a big it's a big question, but it situates my listeners to who you are and what you're about. So that's why I kind of ask this big question. Right. So do what you need to with it. It's your question to answer as you see fit. So that is, how did you begin your journey, and what has it taken for you to arrive at the place where you are currently? What training did you have? When did you know you were going to be an actor? Were, were the arts and was acting a major presence in your home when you were growing up? What did you think you would be? Start with your childhood and lead up till now. Sure. So my childhood began um, in Jamaica, and I was always an adventurous kind of kid. I was home a lot because I had asthma. So it kind of forced me to play and create. And I would run around the yard chasing lizards and things like that. had no idea I was going to be an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, then skip forward to Misawa, Japan. And I was yeah, like, what were you doing in Japan? Well, my mom, my mom, this adventurous woman, she was just always pushing us as kids. And I was here in New York. I got out of junior high school, and she was like, you're not doing high school here. You're going to Japan. And my sister happened to be in the military, so it just kind of worked hand in hand. So I ended up in Japan. That's cool. And I'm playing basketball. And one day, this uh, old man by the name of Joe Rice, if I remember correctly, he was like, you ever thought of, you know, doing acting and stuff? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, you know, I wasn't too sure at the time. But I kept going. For whatever reason, I would come and see this man. And for about two weeks, he would just have me show up and walk in front of him. And I'm like, dude, I didn't re- <laughs> What are we doing here? And he's uh-huh. like, you're working on the play. It's called A Soldier's Play. And oh. you're building a character. So for two weeks, you're being a soldier uh-huh. and without saying a line. And that's how I kind of was like, oh, that was the light bulb moment. Oh. I was like, okay, I'm building a character, and this is what he was teaching me. But for those two weeks, I was completely going crazy because I'm reading this play and couldn't say a word. And it was character building that was actually going on. So that's where the acting bug came in, you know. And um, Were you excited in that moment? You said that's the eureka moment. The light bulb goes on. Were yes. you excited? What, oh. what happened inside you? Well, it was one of those things. It was that ha ah, kind of moment. You uh-huh. know, you come to terms and realize like, oh, so this is how it's done. You know, and then I kept going after that. And it was just like, wow, it was something. It was, it was, it was a building. It was a construction. It was something going on that fueled me to say, okay, I can do this. And That's here cool. I am. Yeah. Here I am. Um, and it's been a journey ever since. Well, so you're in Japan right. doing this theater work. Mm-hmm. And then how did you get to, how did you eventually come back? So you're in New York and L.A. Well, when I came back from Japan, I started uh, uh, studying at um, Uta Hagen. Mm-hmm. And then I did Terry Shriver Studios. And I graduated from Mary T. Boyer Studios. So in doing so, it's just so much different things that was just happening during that point that they even called me in to do you know, some work on set. 
and I'm doing stunts. And I'm like, well, you know, it was just so much different things happening. That said, it was a journey of just meeting different people. And I didn't know that it, it was possible, you know. So you have to just stick with what you're doing. If I'm telling anyone, you know, just stick with what you know. Believe in your craft. Believe that you have something to offer. And know that along the journey, every single person you meet is shaping you for what you're about to become. That, that's cool. That's, you had mentioned that before the show. And I just want to mention for listeners that we've got a friend of yours, a videographer, Isaac Thompson, in the studio so that um, listeners will be able to see you on YouTube, too. So. Hi, Isaac. Hello. How are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> so um, what in you, after that experience in Japan, gave you the idea, the confidence to go forth? Because acting's not an easy profession. Right. Traveling. Being outside of the realm, traveling abroad, interacting with different people. I was on a flight coming back from Japan. You know, it's a 15-hour flight. You know, you cross people all the time. There was this gentleman from Australia, and he just spent time talking to me. And I just felt when I came back to the States that anything is possible. Anything is possible. And it was that that kind of feeling that fueled me. I didn't, you know, there was no boundaries. Mm -hmm. You know, all of what I, I had... Once I went to uh, overseas and came back, it was all gone. It was just like, just do you. So leaving the States and going to Japan gave you this whole new expansion in the way you could see yourself. Absolutely. 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 That's cool. That's cool. What did you think you would be when you were a kid before you left for Japan? I think I was going to be like my dad. My dad, you know, he was a carpenter, you know, and he built both of our homes back home and here in the States, he worked with the Carpenters Union. And while I was in Japan, I would speak to my dad and he's like, oh, well, you know, you're going to come and do our apprenticeship program and so on and so on. While my mom, she had other plans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're going to thank this adventurous lady. Yeah. 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 Very much so. So, um, but I, coming back, I knew I wanted to be an actor. I knew I had to study. I knew that I wanted to be taken seriously and I knew I wanted my work to touch people. That's cool. I'm glad you have that kind of work ethic. Um, so when your daddy's seen you in different films and on stage, is he then like, oh, okay, it's okay, he's not a carpenter? No. <laughs> <laughs> he still like, wants, he's still saying, come back through your apprenticeship program. Right, well, now he's he's accepted it. Yeah. Maybe he's seen so much more of my work and stuff, but in the beginning it was a little rough because he was just like, what? You know, because, <laughs> you know, I mean, I would go home for, uh, uh, from Japan and I would, we would do painting in the summer. I will join him on some of his jobs and I'll just help out do roofing and, you know, show, uh, throw up uh, sheet rocks and things like that. So I guess he just kind of had it in his head that oh, eventually, you know, he'll be here and that's what he'll be doing. Yeah, I'm sure that right, he had right. that. But, um, yeah. <clears throat> so um, what was it like going to school on a military base in Japan? It was great because it was an influx of different people from different places. So I was going to school with guys from Memphis, you know, people from uh, uh, Iowa, you know, just far out places. And being from New York where, you know, I would like to say that we're heavy in culture. So you interact with these kids and it's just a blend. And they ask you and you ask them. And next thing you know, you guys are best friends. Mm. And it's so inspirational because it's out of the box. You talk about out-of-the-box thinking. Right. Well, when you interact with people that is from someplace completely different, I think that's out-of-the-box. It is. It is. And that inspires you, you know, because then you realize that nothing really matters. Like, anything, everything is possible. 
So that's... It opens the doors of your mind. Exactly, exactly. And what was it like working on the set of American Gangster with Russell Crowe and Ridley Scott? Is Russell Crowe really that cute in person? (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to say so. (laughs) Russell, if you're listening. (laughs) No, no, but he's... uh, Oh, man, it it was so influential. I mean, this man had a textbook of research on that character. Um... He was talking to me on set, and he's like, you know, my character plays baseball, so I'm going to do a baseball slide, and you're going to go crashing through the glass window. And I'm like, okay, whatever you say. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. But, yeah, but that's, that, that's to the, you know, to the, um, that, that's to support how, you know, how great he was. Ridley Scott, he was like, chop, 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 chop. He's one of those guys on set that he's trying to get the work done. He's making sure that everyone is aligned, everyone is in formation, Everyone is listening, and they're ready to roll. And it was just so great to be a part of that because it shows you how much the work transcends, not only as an actor, but as a, you know, a, a director and as a producer, how things is in a timely fashion and everybody was just working cohesively. It was just great. So what's, what's a role you'd love to play in your future? I would love to play Bond. <laughs> oh, you'd be a great Bond. I think the first Bond. I can see you in a in a tuxedo. Yeah, I, I, I think that. I think you need fir- to be a little older. Yeah, yeah I can wait. I can wait a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the first Bond was created in the islands, if I remember correctly. Ah. Yeah, yeah. The first show, you know, yeah, that would be awesome. Well, that'd be cool. Yeah, Bond with a, with an accent, no, with a West Indian accent. <laughs> that would be up to you. You'd have to decide. James you- Bond. I'm James Bond. You'd have to decide how you wanted to play him. Right, right. You'd have to create him and create your own, you know, textbook on who the man was. Right. Your James Bond. Exactly. It would be awesome. It would be awesome. So that's one of those roles that you'd be like, wow, you know. But I would love to work, you know, with um, work with Michael Fassbender. Like, he's one of those top actors that's out there right now, and he's just so regal in his approach. And what better way to to know that you've arrived than to work with someone like that. Yeah. It's just, it's infectious the way he does things. And, you know, you hope to be able to match that with your work. You were cast out of 250 actors in New York City to play a quadriplegic in Better Days Ahead for the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. What was that like? It was awesome. I was coming back from from, uh, Vegas and I was in a car accident. Oh, God. And I woke up in uh, the hospital. Oh, my God. I was okay. And I checked my phone, and there was a casting uh, director from NYU. And I was like, okay, cool. Let me go in and audition and went in and did it. And come to find out, I'm just like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to do this. It's such a heavy role. And right before the director left, he handed me a CD. I looked at the cover of the CD, and it didn't resonate to me until after that he was the son of Christopher Reeve. Oh. It was Matthew Reeve who was uh, attending NYU, and I said, dude, why me? And he's like, well, I was scrolling through all these headshots, and I wanted to audition you. And you auditioned, and you beat out 250 actors. Wow. And I was just like, wow. So That's cool. And I felt so, you know, it, it was so honored to do that. And I, I studied his father uh, a CD, and we went to work. And it was just so good just to be to, to do something so meaty as an actor. Because mm-hmm. you go to school, you study so hard, and sometimes they want you to come out and say one line and that's it. Right. But to be able to put all of what you've learned into something like this was just 
it was it's creatively and artistically fulfilling absolutely absolutely and to the and we 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 visited um the hospitals and the location in new jersey at the time and you know to see these people who are still living their lives although they might be quadriplegic or you know they have it was just so inspiring i remember walking in the hallway and there was this lady that was in a wheelchair and she just looked at me and she just said something i can't remember verbatim what she said but she was just like just get on just do it you know, and oh, it was just wow. so lovely. Like, what a great attitude. What a great attitude. What a great attitude. And it was great. It was I have a feeling that's the kind of role and experience that will stay with you your whole life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, again, these are not, this is not something you get to experience, you know, and for you to be going along this journey and these things pop up, you know, wow. Yeah. Wow. They deepen and enrich you. Very much. As a person, and then you can put that into your craft. Absolutely. And, and, and to deal with people because of that, because of that enrichment, I've learned other people's lives. I've learned not to give up. I've learned just because you have a limb that might not work, you have the rest of your body and the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? I was a big fan of Christopher Reeve, and I was one of those people who found it heart-wrenching when he was disabled. And then when he died, I, was, I mean, I really had an emotional resonance. Yeah, for me, it was just like, that's Superman. I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Kid, you're just like, that's Superman. Right, right. Yeah. What was it like to work with director Ingrid Jungerman? Jungerman, yes. Um, on F to 7th webisode, and that's now being recreated by Showtime? Ingrid was awesome. Ingrid was awesome. To work with, with a, a, a woman director is just so cool because she's, she's really uh, simple. She tells you what she wants. And it's almost that quiet confidence. You might have a certain director, like I've worked with, um, um, oh my gosh, like past my mind, but, you know, guys that are on big budget uh, sets, they're yelling, action, let's do this, you know, but Ingrid was just so smooth, she's like, I'm asking you to do this, I'm asking you to deliver it this way, this is deadpan comedy, and it was classic, mm-hmm. and now it's being turned into showtime, so it's just awesome, to work with her, I played a bisexual character, and at first it was, you know, I was like, okay, so we went, <laughs> you know, this is, this is big business, so, um, you know, but I embraced it. I embraced it so well, and um, we, well, you want to find the truth in the character. Exactly, exactly. And working with her, she was just so such a professional, so smooth, and we've been friends up until now. So Ingrid, if you're listening, when show <laughs> when Showtime call. <laughs> yeah, Ingrid, we like Rory for this role and Showtime. <laughs> but yeah, but she's 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 just awesome, and she's killing it right now, you know. And again, it's good to be a part of people who are just so serious and so invested in their craft i mean what a better what what what, what you know it's just what a great thing to be a part of right know? well she sounds she reminds me of your first experience of going to that and walking for two weeks across the stage and not saying a word there's a simplicity there too right right and and it's funny because they're all connected she you know matt reeves know her she knows the next director that I worked with, and it's just this community of people that along this journey that you and I have been talking about, that sometimes you're on that journey and you don't know that it's connected. And this is, what, this is the result of that. That's cool. Um, you just had a screening at the Band Theater in Brooklyn for Haitian Sun, an NYU grad thesis. What was that about? Well, Haitian Sun um, was from this director, Markety Laurelston. And again, he's just another creative artist. This man just got his, uh, uh, just graduated and got his MFA, you know, from NYU. And he's in Cali and he calls me and he's like, Rory, can you go to BAM and represent this film? 
I'm like, of course I'm in it. Of uh-huh. course, <laughs> you got it. And it was just about um, this young Haitian boy who's grow- growing up and he's going through dealing with, you yeah. know, obvious the obvious, uh, uh, you know, drugs and trying to avoid that. Mm-hmm. And I was playing the um, the major drug dealer, this worldly drug dealer with a Caribbean accent, and the band band picked it up. Band picked it up. So it was great working with him and helping him. It was a part of his thesis at first. So we were just like, all right, you know, let's just knock it out. And he was going to try to push it to some festivals. But then when the band picked it up, it was like, wow. Even Ingrid called. She was just like, wow, right? You know. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so now I have to ask you. You sent me this question. And I ask it with pleasure. What was it like working with Fabian Howard on the World War One Memorial sculpture and representing the Harlem Hellfighters, who were so instrumental to World War One that no one knows about them? This was in a sense, life-changing. It was dope. Cool. Word. Yeah, it was just like, what? So um, it was great working with Saban. From I met Saban at the door, you know, you just personality, laughter. Again, like I was telling you earlier, you would think he would be so serious and so invested into what, you know, which he is. But at the same point, you know, when you meet him, he's fun guy, you know, full of personality. Yeah. Come on in, da, da, da. You know, and next thing he pushes out this, freaking wicked structure and it's just like what you know and he does it with such ease so again for him to even have me and have us and the guys that I was working with is familiar it was just like it was a chorus line of dope artists just coming together and and you still felt the 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 camaraderie in the community that's nice yeah and Saban is awesome so oh thank you and did you go look up the Harlem Hellfighters absolutely that was a part of my research before I even went Mm -hmm. because one thing you don't want to do is do something and people ask you questions you're like what no there's actually I looked up the families for the Harlem Hellfighters um I'm actually in the midst of contacting some of them just to let them know yeah so I'm working on that good thank you yes absolutely yeah and um yeah so working with working working with and representing that it's been great it was a a lot of people reached out to me on Facebook and say wow cool wow yeah. You didn't know. Wow. Yeah, people don't know the story about yeah. this African American battalion that were so important. Absolutely. And fought with distinction, great yeah. distinction and honor great. for our country. Yeah. And it was and it was on different levels for them because you have to understand that even at that point they were still trying to be accepted in this country. Right. So it was almost like, yes, we're fighting for home, but we're also trying to prove to home that we belong at home. Right. You know? I like to think it was an important step in yes. earning the acceptance. Since, exactly. and, Proving that they deserved it in the first place. Exactly. So um, it was. It was. It, it. It really touched me to just to be able to represent that, to be able to represent that, and even the clothing that we were wearing. You know, Saban was saying some of these. You know, the. Clothing. Yeah, he has a lot of original it's World, World War One uniforms. Yeah. Like you can look in the pocket, and it's got like. Yeah. You know, memorabilia from the time. Right, and it is, and it, and it's wool. You know, these guys were really wearing some some heavy material. Yeah, it's itchy. Yeah, very itchy. (laughs) (laughs) The boots, you know, steel toe boots and everything. It was just like, wow, how did they run in these days? How did they run? You know, they lived in the trenches in those boots for months and months at a time. Right. So you in in the mud, you know, up to their kneecaps in mud. So you get you get you you know you obviously you get used to it, but it was just. It was just a complete honor to represent that, and I'm so glad. It's one of those things where I'm just like, I can show this to my children. Yeah. I can show this to my family. Yeah, when the wall is made in Washington, D.C., you'll be able to take your family and kids and grandkids and say, that's me, that's my face. I I was in it. I'm in it. I'm... <laughs> but more importantly, it's, you know, it's, it's 
to represent. It's right. just to represent, to represent, you know, that those African Americans who who really put who their gave lives, their lives, who gave their lives, and not to forget those who actually came home with a purple heart around their neck, and those some of those guys were hanged. Oh. You know, so again, it's a serious uh, uh, honor for me to represent mm-hmm. everybody. That's cool. Um, we are, uh, we have a little more than half left over, so I'm going to take a pause and question because it seems like a good moment, and I'm going to play my commercial for my book. All righty. 30 seconds. When you find an author you love, you read everything they publish. International best-selling author Tracy L. Slatton is one of those writers. Her book Immortal is a rags-to-riches-to-burnt-at-the-stake story of an orphan boy in Renaissance Florence. Broken is the story of a fallen angel in Nazi-occupied Paris and her award-winning romantic paranormal dystopian after-book series. Also, her bittersweet sci-fi romantic comedy, The Love of My Other Life. Read one and you will be hooked. Find all of her books at TracyLSlatton.com. Okay, so we are back, and I'm going to grill you some more. (laughs) (laughs) Grill cheese. All right. right, right. Yeah, um, so you're a millennial, and a few weeks ago I had a couple young men. You may have met them, Zach Valenti, you may have Mm -hmm. met. um, Yes. And his partner, Gabriel Urbina, were on talking about being millennials, because millennials, you're millennials, you guys have kind of a bad reputation in the media sometimes. Yeah. Um, So what does it mean to you to be a millennial, and how do you see yourself as different from earlier generations? Um, I see myself different in a weird way. I see myself different from earlier generations because I'm actually still sticking to things that I was taught by the older generations. For instance, being an actor in New York City and working on set and being able to, you know, do things with Al Pacino and De Niro and know that these guys are all about the craft, where today... You know, in order for you to even be seen or be exposed to stuff, you have to have that social media content. So for me, I was like, man, you know, I got to stick to my craft. And I think that separates me from the other uh, actors or millennials of, or people of today that are just more social media based. Um, it's one of those. So you wanted to have the talent and the training to back up, exactly. to have the professionalism, right. not just content. Right. And in terms of, you know, just having a different creative thought as a, as a millennial going forward is just to be the best you you can be. And you have to trust yourself. You have to trust yourself. I think the more you trust yourself, the more everything else will fall to the side. The more you try to become something you're not, the more it becomes clustered. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that that there's there's power in that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's interesting. Right. As a, I used to comfort myself as an actor, like I would say, well, you know, if everything else else fails, I got my skills. And what do you do? Like, if you go in, you audition your heart out for something, you don't get the role. How do you come back from that? Well, I throw the script in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I I try I try to go home and forget it. I uh-huh. try, it's, I try, it's important to do that. Do you have self-care rituals that help you? Absolutely. I mean, it's you know what? It's more of I would leave and go watch a movie and get engrossed in that. Mm-hmm. You know, find other arts to get involved with. Play music, mm-hmm. dance, get lost in those things versus thinking about the role. You know, thinking about, you know, why didn't I get it? Because you have, nowadays you have to understand that it's not just about you. It could be a million different things as to why you didn't get that role. So yeah, it could be anything. It's, yeah, it could be anything. Crazy. When I hear actors talk about it, it can be yeah any any weird thing. Right. And the only thing that you're in control of is what you're giving in that very moment that they call you in. So 
you own it. You go in there, you give it, I mean, you kill it. Mm-hmm. And let them, you know, decide whether they want you or not. And again, it just comes back to you're on this journey and you're owning what you can control. That's cool. That's cool. So you've played roles like a quadriplegic mm-hmm. and a drug dealer mm-hmm. and, um, and you were an American gangster. What is the role that you would get that would terrify you well, to play it as a, as a human being? Um, like a abuser, a kidnapper, a bank robber, a Chinese businessman. I don't know. What's the role that you would, if you got it, you would if be I terrified? Got, if you remember the film John Q with uh, Denzel, where he was trying to find some health care for his son. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would probably rip my heart out because although it's a role, it's really what if, if you and your child was in this situation and you have to find health care, you have to take care of your child. And I think that's a very, because it's so close to home in, in a sense, you know, these are steps in life that we go through as people. Mm-hmm. So that's really close. There is no, I'm going to go and learn an accent for this. I'm going to go and what's so close to this role? It's you're in it. And I think when you're dealing with children, it's, it's, it's more potent. Yeah. It's more potent. Yeah. And, you know, parents and families are watching this and they're able to tell, well, if I'm in that moment, I don't know if I would do that. Or if I am in that moment, yes, I would do that. So I think that's a role that that's a role that would be challenging. And it's crazy because it's so you would think it's so simple. I would probably go and play some other character with another. No, it's something just like that. Because you have to reach into your realest, most authentic core. Absolutely. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And what's the role that you got? that you'd be like, yeah, I can do this. This is my role. I was born to play this role. Um, Have you had those fantasies? Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would go back to Bond, but then... Uh, besides Bond. <laughs> besides Bond. Um, uh, I, I, g- I grant you Bond. You in grant 10, me 15 years, in 10, 15 years. You no, can be Bond. Right. No, no. I um, Let's see. It would probably be something maybe reggae, reggae-like. Like, for instance, there's this author right now, and he has this book out about Jamaica, and it's called um, a, a History of Seven Killings by Marlon James. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has about 75 different characters in it. And I would love to, you know, I would love to play a character like that where I could use my native accent or something. And, and just, Have you thought about contacting him and trying to get the rights? The oh yeah, yeah. We took photos together. I rated, oh, I rated his art. I rated his art. Oh, that's cool. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he's sick of me by now, but it's okay. okay. All right. <laughs> it's all right. It's persistence. It, yes, it, it'll, you know, it'll work. So. All right. Yeah, but it's. So, it's what great. are your goals for the future? My goals for the future is to to continue on this journey, to continue to to act. Uh, I know there's people who venture off in other things, and, you know, this is what I'm passionate about. Those writing, producing, and things like that, those are things I can do. Right. But I would love to just do this. And, and I think that, and the, you know, the screen is, 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 is where I'm, I have something in me, mm-hmm. and I want to stick it to the, the screen is my canvas, and I'm throwing whatever I have inside of me on it. That's, that's where my passion lies. Earlier you talked about knowing, how, knowing when you arrived. Um, how will you know when you've arrived? I think it's a trick I play with myself. I don't ever want to arrive. I just want to okay. keep working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're a real artist, and Sabin and I feel the same way. Sabin will be sculpting until he's 106 and kills over. Yeah, 
Yeah. Are you kidding me? You can never say I've arrived. Are you? No, no, no. I wouldn't. Is there a moment when you're going to say, yeah, this is pretty good? Yeah. When will yeah. that be? When's yeah. that moment? You don't have to say you've arrived, but when is there a moment you're going to look around? Is it when you're collecting your Oscar and playing James Bond? Or? Yeah. Well, <laughs> when I see myself on the screen and somebody walks up to me or some ki- some kid or whomever, and they're like, hey, I saw your movie and it rocked me to sleep. Mm-hmm. Like, And that's when I'll be like, yeah. Oh, yeah. So feeling that impact of your work, the profound impact on someone else's life right. and consciousness. And consciousness. And I'm, yeah, I'm not talking community theater. I'm talking screen, big, and that audience. And you're probably even, you know, in the audience somewhere just watching people being moved by your work. And, oh, so you'll go in surreptitiously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. just watch people Secret cry? Shopper. Yeah, yeah, Secret <laughs> Shopper. I get, you know, yeah. So yeah. It'd be fun. That'd be fun. Yeah. Um, what's the story that hasn't been told about Jamaicans or Jamaican Americans mm-hmm. that needs to be told? Wow, very good question. Um, the commitment to doing better. That's a story that hasn't been told. The commitment to, I think people, sometimes you hear people say, oh, you know, uh, uh, people from other countries, they come here and they, you know, they'll take our jobs and they come here with all this, you know, but I think it's engraved in us as Jamaicans like well if you come to America you kind of got to really like bust your ass like you got to do well you got to well in New York the stereotype is the Jamaican taxi driver who's working four jobs to put his or her kids through college right, right? I mean right. that's kind of the yeah. the New Yorker when we that's what we think of or right. maybe you know mm-hmm. starting to ease away from that right now you think of the Jamaican professionals but I think that was 15 years ago 20 years ago we were when mm-hmm. that was kind of the stereotype right right but even 15 years ago you know, um, even although that was a stereotype, it still transcends to the younger, you know, Jamaicans of today because you still feel like, wow, you know, I have to make my mom proud. I have to make my dad proud. You know, they made a way so I can come here and we can, you know, live and do well and things of that nature. So I, I think it's just that responsibility, that pressure that hasn't been told. I think they only related to like maybe Asians or possibly Indians, or, you know. Oh, oh I see of, what you yeah. mean. Right. But yeah, you're right. That is a story that needs the hardworking Jamaican right. who comes to this country and feels the burden of responsibility and duty and sacrifice that his or her parents made. That would be a great story. Yeah. Are you going to write it? Are you going to get a friend to write it? So you no. write it? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good story. I'm it, agreeing with you. It, yeah, well, it's a good story, but who who who, would out, who out there would you think would write something like that? I don't know. Maybe. Um, John Singleton or somebody. Uh, well, as a writer, well, I can feel the, the meat. You know, it's yeah. got the story with some meat in it, right? Yeah. Oh, it's a cool yeah. story. Absolutely. Um, but because I'm not Jamaican, I would doubt my own credentials. I think you need to get someone who knows <laughs> knows it from the inside, kind of. Yeah. yeah. So, so if that Marlon James guy, you know, yeah. he decides to give All right, Marlon? Yeah, you know, <laughs> exactly. Jamaican? Yeah, he's Jamaican. All right, Marlon, we've got a job for he you. He knows who he is. <laughs> <laughs> I, but no, but it's a good story because it's you're right because you think oh they you know Koreans come in and work hundred hours a week the Chinese come in but yeah. the Jamaicans are doing the same thing and it hasn't really been put out there right and I just and I just think overall everyone comes here to work hard I just think there's a division of people that is just willing to do what they can to make it here in this city to make it here and you know so yeah yeah who inspires you dad dad yeah 
every morning, wake up, kiss my mom, kiss me. And what inspired me the most is seeing the passion for his carpentry. He's packing his tool bag. He's going to jump on the train from Queens, go into the city, and he's the happiest guy at 4 o'clock in the morning walking to that wow. train station. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just his, his passion for his, for his craft and his work. And, you know, he's a, he's a man that started learning the craft, the trade back home in Jamaica at 9. Oh. He had to teach himself how to do math and things of wow. that nature and reach. So, again, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's bad, yeah. He's the, he's the blueprint as to why. Maybe that's why I am the way about my work also. It's just uh, it's work. Well, yeah, I guess in your family people work hard. Yeah, yeah, they work hard, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, really hard. Yeah, so yeah, I, 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 I... I'm, I'm a big fan of hard work. Okay, well, that's great. Yeah. That's, that's great. Some of my friends there are just like, really? That's kind of hard. <laughs> yeah, but ultimately I think life is about your work. Absolutely. You have to play, yeah, you have to balance all, yeah, it. Yeah, it's all you have. It's really all you have. Right. For me, you know, at I mean, least for me. For me, I think what is important in life, it's loving right. your family and friends, working and playing and learning. So those are my four reasons for living. Yeah. But work's a big one. Yeah. Live, love, play, you know. Learn. Right, learn. Especially learning. Well, you're all about learning. You're learning your craft continuously. Absolutely. And I'm learning from so many different people. I mean, even kids that I work with, I'm learning so much from them. And they're just so bright. And so, and I think as an artist, it's so important to surround yourselves with the young people. Because it keeps you young. Keeps your your work. Can you summarize some of the more important points of what you've learned along the way, along this journey? Hmm. What are some of the important points? It's not so much an important point, but I will say this. Uh, uh, I call him my uncle, um, Andre Juggernaut Richardson. He sell, he always used to say to me, work the show, show the work. Mm-hmm. Work the show, show the work. And that's, that's always kind of stuck with me. No matter what you do, you show the work. And, and that's and that's kind of been my little mantra through on this journey, you know. It's a good mantra. Work the show, show the work. What are some of the major challenges you faced in your work and your life so far? What are some of the major rewards? Let's start with challenges. Well, challenges is just you know filled around exposure. Mm-hmm. I think exposure. Um, I think you own your craft while you're owning it, and you want to have that exposure. And um, sometimes there's a vessel that opens up for the exposure and you want to react and get involved with it fast before it becomes saturated because once it becomes saturated, it's just another dead end. Right. So I think I'm always looking for new opportunities to find that exposure. So, you know, from a technological standpoint, you know, you got Facebook, Twitter, and now they have Snapchat. Mm-hmm. And somebody's saying, oh, well, they give you this amount of time on Snapchat that you can advertise yourself or show your craft or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's always that battle. But before Snapchat gets saturated with a gazillion people doing the same thing, you try to get in there and establish your, 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 you know, your craft and show it. And it's just those type of challenges that happen. Also, there's a challenge, you know, I mean, just being, just being a, a, a black man here in America. Is, is it still as hard as people say? Absolutely, because you got, it's... I mean, are you still going to get stopped for driving a fancy car? Well, no, I would <laughs> I would hope not in certain areas still, you know. I but. mean, I was watching a show, House of Cards, and the chief of staff 
uh, Remy Danton, played by uh, a black actor, is driving a really nice car, and he gets pulled over, and he has left his wallet at work, and the police yeah. are not good to him. And I, it, I found it a little shocking. Right. But is so is that still yeah, true it, in in a male black experience in America? Absolutely, absolutely. It might not be as 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 potent as it was, you know, maybe in the early '90s and things like that. But it's it's it still happens. Um, but I think it's getting better. I think we're getting better. And as long as that's happening, then there'll be a point where it's it's calm. But I think we're getting better. But yes. I, what would it take to even things out? I'm now asking you to solve racism. <laughs> <laughs> this is just, I'm joking, teasing well, you, but you must, since you're living the experience, right. you must have some ideas. And you're a very thoughtful man. Right. You must have some ideas. What can we do? What's the next step people can do? Well, I think we're already on a great step of opening the lines of communication. Um, I was watching a show on, what, CNN, I think, or the BBC. I think it might have been CNN. And you have uh, the host going around, and he's getting the police officers and uh, the authority and the people in the community just to communicate, just to communicate. And I think that understanding is so much richer than just saying, hey, you know, I'm black, you're white, you know, you know, no separation. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right. There's no, the, the more we become intertwined within each other, the better off we'll be. So bridge building, communication. Absolutely. And we're sharing cultures every day. Right. We're sharing cultures every day. I'm sorry. Black people are the only people that eat fried chicken. White people eat fried chicken, too. <laughs> I love eating fried chicken. Yeah, so, Please don't you know, take it away. I love it. So we're bound culturally. We just got to talk to each other. Yeah. yeah. We just got to talk to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, I, I think that's what it is. And, you know, get, rid yourself of old stereotypes and, 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 and embrace embrace what's in front of you. Rid yourself of old stereotypes and embrace what's in front of you. Well, one of the things that's been fun for me in this show is, I don't know if you looked at the, my website, independentartistthinkers.com, but I have had people on the show from all different backgrounds that you can think of, male, female, gay, straight, mm -hmm. probably bi, um, men, women, old, right. young, uh, Hindu, Muslim, um, African-American, I don't know, do you consider yourself Jamaican-American or African-American? I consider myself... Korean, I've had it, what have you considered yourself? I guess Jamaican American would be fitting, but I've just been an American for a lot longer than I've been in Jamaica. So, mm -hmm. but I'm Jamaican American. If that's, that's so American American. Well, yeah. and you were in Japan, so right, right, Jamaican exactly. Japanese, Japanese American. Right, yeah, <laughs> American. American. There we go. There you go. <laughs> but I have a premise that independent creative thinking transcends um, gender, age, race and religious background. So that's kind of my premise for my show, and so I've tried to reach out to really demonstrate original thinking, which you have done. I think some of your thoughts on the journey and what it means to be on the journey are really important. Right, absolutely. And then, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry. What are some of the rewards, then, of this journey? People finding out about you and calling you in and saying, hey, we know who you are. We'd like to work with you. That's a reward. That's a reward because sometimes when you're on that journey, you can it's 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 lonely. Yeah. You know? You're like, okay, where's the next step? What is going on? As soon as I'm done doing this interview, I got to find out. Oh my gosh, what's the next thing? Mm -hmm. So when the, the rewards of the journey in senses to be able to collaborate with someone else that respects your craft and respects you as an artist and say, hey, I want to work with you. That's a that's the reward. Mm -hmm. That's the to me. That's the reward right there. 
because it's an ongoing thing. You hope the next person calls you and say, hey, let's work together. Mm. Let's build together. Mm-hmm. That's a reward. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where if you put the carriage ahead of the horse, you will never experience, you know, enjoy the trip. You'll never enjoy the trip. And enjoying the trip is working with different people along the way. Mm-hmm. You can't do it alone. No, you can't. That's a reward. Have you had to think outside the box? in order to be successful. You're starting to become successful. You're working with some big names. You're getting some juicy roles. Have you had to think outside the box? Yeah. I think, I think you have to analyze. You have to find your niche. You have to, you know, yeah, you have to. I, I wish I could. Sometimes things just happen, mm-hmm. and you roll with it mm-hmm. in a sense where, you know, I came out doing, you know, I learned martial arts for 10 years. Oh, wow. You know, but it was off and on. I'm, you know, going to school, playing another sport, things of that nature. Now I'm being called in to work with kids and teach them self-defense. That's cool. So it's, it's, it's just, you know, but that's out of the box because it's something that I was just taking for myself and now it's being, it's being used, it's fruition. Mm-hmm. It's being used mm-hmm. in another area. And um, you, you, you just take what you have and you navigate. So would you like to do, like, action movies? That's something you've considered? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you made a great soldier in Sabin's photograph. <laughs> so are you interested in doing more military roles? Are you interested in action roles? I would love to work with Jerry Bruckheimer, and I can do military roles, action roles, Wesley Snipes, whatever, whatever you ask, I can do. So you can put on the uniform. Put on a uniform. Triple threat. <laughs> <laughs> Um, tell us about what's upcoming. Upcoming. Well, as we speak, I'm being considered for Macbeth at the Classical Theater. Woohoo! So, hopefully. Oh, that'd be awesome. That would be so awesome. And you could doing, rock Shakespeare. And they're, to, and they're doing a, a, a great version of it because it's, um, it's based on Ethiopia and Haile Selassie and Jamaica. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, and I went in there and I did um, a, a, a Brutus piece. In, with a Jamaican accent. Oh. Yeah, so it was awesome. Do you remember a few lines? Can you do a few lines for us? Did not great Julius bleed for justice sake? What villain sold his body that did stab and not for justice? What shall one of us that struck the foremost man of all this world, but for supporting robbers, shall we now contaminate our fingers with base bribes and sell the might space of our large honor for so much trash as may be grasped thus? I'd rather be a dog than bathe the moon than such a Roman. That's great. Whoa. <laughs> I love it. All right. That was good. All right. I hope you get the role. I hope so. Thank yeah. You. Thank Where you. would that be then? Where would it be performed? It would be performed, I think, at Marcus Garvey Park. Oh, cool. Up here in Harlem. And yeah, yeah. It'd be, it'd be a sexy show. It'd be yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. That'd be awesome. What else have you got upcoming? What are you thinking about doing? And Well, I was... I'm thinking of doing a short film over the summer, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, uh, I'm still writing that. I'm still working on it. Um, it's more visual, mm-hmm. so I'm just trying to make sure everything is aligned. And just, just auditioning. Just, just auditioning. The actor's life. The actor's life. The actor's life. Yes, ma'am. What has been your underlying motivation on this journey? How can I? Hmm. 
My underlining motivation is to make my sisters proud. How many sisters do you have? I have four sisters. Oh, well, five. Five sisters? Yes, five sisters, and they're all great at what they do, and I'm just like the ugly duckling. You know what I mean? Are you like, the only boy? Yes. Oh, and, God bless you. And the youngest, <laughs> like that, yeah. So it's like I'm being trampled by a woman. <laughs> no, but my sisters, they're great. You know, they're nurses, and my sister, she's just like, what? How do I do 20-plus years in the military, and you get to, you know, be posted next to the White House. What's going on here? Right, so, right. Yeah, but my sisters are, are great. And they, they, yeah, I envy them because they're successful. And, yeah. So you want to make them proud? Yeah. Are they? No, of course they're proud. <laughs> my mom, that woman. The adventurous mom. Yeah. With yeah. high expectations. Absolutely. She's 67 going on 18. Good for her. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been prone to buy her uh, three dresses for Mother's Day. Oh, you're a good son. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever come face to face with like serious obstacles? And if so, how did you recover from them? Well, a serious obstacle for me is always more so personal because I can't control what happens out here in the right. world. But to, with my father um, having a stroke, my uh-huh. dad, you know, several, and he was, you know, sometimes one of the things that I've learned is you have to really embrace this because. Something can change in the drop of a hat. Right. You know like what I mean? That. My dad was a carpenter, excited, passionate, going to work, and boom. He had a couple of strokes, and it was, the next day you wake up, and it's just like, this is your new life. Oh. And how do you go from doing something like that to adjusting to this? Right. So that's something that will forever be with me because it's, it's there's a saying. It says, reality is when it happens to you. Mm-hmm. And it happened. And for me, that's... Sh- it shook my whole world. It shook my, I had to put on my big boy pants. Right. Could, you know, I couldn't be 19, 20, going to college anymore and to play basketball. I had to put on my big boy pants and go to work for Citibank and work at a nursing home on the weekends and try to help my dad and my mom maintain their home. So it, it, to me, that was that, yeah, the, that, that moment right there. So that sticks with me. Yeah. What did you learn from that? Besides that it can happen and your whole life changes, which is a huge learning. Life is not predictable. Right. There you go. That's what I learned. Life is not predictable. If there was anything to... You also learn that you can't be... There's really no way to prepare for it. There's really Mm -hmm. no way to prepare for anything, you know, in a sense. I mean, you can plan for your kids. You can save money and do all that. But when things happen so personal, there's really no way... You know, it's just how you pick up the pieces. How did your parents, um, what did they, how did they find the strength to handle this and cope? Well, it was just family cohesiveness. Hmm. All of us, all of us making sure, you know, we're always, you know, supporting our, you know, around our parents. You know, there's times where all of us are fly to go in my mom's house at Thanksgiving and then my mom will come back and all of us will be at my dad's for his birthday and, you know, it'll be like that. So we, we, we definitely relied on the basis of family to, to pick each other up. I mm-hmm. mean, that's how we that's how we were. That's how we were raised. That's how we came, you know, so, but that's how we got through it. And that's I, one of those old-fashioned values you were talking about. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. The family's sort of the bedrock of the your bed, life. Yes. Absolutely, and my and my sisters, God bless them, because they're always they're always there. They're always there. They're raising their kids. Hey, we're always checking on our parents. We're God bless them. Yeah, that's yeah. tough. Yeah, that's hard. But yeah, that's family. 
That's family. That's what family's for. That is what family's for. <laughs> Where do you see your work in five years, in ten years, and in twenty years? That's tough. Um, in five years, in ten years. Well, in five years, which is probably the closest to now, I I would like to see I would like to see my work, you know, on screen. I don't know uh, to what level, but yeah, that's a, that's to movies that you have a juicy role. Yeah, global movie, distribution. Yeah, movies, global distribution, or on Broadway, you know, or both, mm-hmm. because I'm theatrically trained and as much. Do you sing too? I tried it the other day. <laughs> Okay. I tried it the other day. I mean, you can hold a note. You know, I was a choir boy one time. Oh, you were? Okay. Yeah, junior yeah. choir. But, I mean, it's, I'm not out here trying to belt with anybody. All right, right. You know, but, okay. yeah. But if I, 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 I'd like to think that I'm crazy enough to try it. Okay. And, and be successful. <laughs> <at it. laughs> all right, all right. Um, what do you like most about what you do and what do you like least? And we've only got about seven minutes. I'm just giving you a heads up. So what do you like most and what do you like least about what you do? Um, most of what should we, should we start with least? First? Yes, start with least. The least is the it's like hurry up and wait. Mm. It's like that thing. It's like you're so excited, you just got something done, and you're ready to go do something else. And it's like no, you're gonna wait for like six months before oh. the next oh. kid comes. In. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So that's what that's why it's it's the sometimes it's the inconsistency that kicks you in the butt, but you know, in a good way, it makes you appreciate it so much more when you're doing something. Uh-huh. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a give and take. But I think what I, yeah, what, 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 what does it the most for me is, is, is working. And what I hate the least is just being stuck with trying to figure out what the heck am I doing next. And do you do, like, tons and tons of auditions? Well, I try to, but the thing is, I do auditions, but I also submit myself in different ways. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you might hear that there's a new uh, author coming out with a novel, and you, you want to question if it's something that's going to be turned into a film mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, turned into a play. And, you know, you read the whole novel, and you think, hmm, what could I do? Or if, I, this, if this resonates to me, is this something I would like to work on? Mm-hmm. So that's another angle that I like to use sometimes versus just going into an auditioning room all the time. So I try to find other vehicles. Um, just create your own stuff sometimes, you know, just to keep your, just to keep your feet wet as mm-hmm. an artist. So, uh, yeah. And what do you like most about what you do? What I like most about what I do is, like I've said before, I'm just passionate about people saying, dude, you rocked and you rocked me and uh, I don't know what to do for myself in this moment. Can you come over for dinner? All right, <laughs> <laughs> no. no. listeners, Rory likes dinner. What do you like for dinner? Um, a filling dinner. A good filling dinner. Steak, chicken. Steak, chicken. <laughs> fish, uh, fish. I like fish. I like uh, you know, steak. Uh, <laughs> I, I like sweet potatoes. I like vegetables. Um, a good lager. Oh my gosh, a good uh, lager. Yeah, yeah. A good lager. Yeah. And I, I'm crazy about Starbucks. I um, a friend of mine who's German came to town last week, and I don't drink a lot of beer. I prefer wine, but she took me to this little 
sausage bar uh. on 86 and second on Second Avenue at 86th Street, uh-huh. and they had the best beer. And the guy in the shop was like, "Oh, they only make this beer once every hundred years because oh, the purity wow. laws was really good." Wow. So if you like good beer. Yeah, yeah. Was it IPA or something? I don't know. I'm bad with okay. all of that. Okay. But it was just this delicious German beer that they make next to a German store. Mm-hmm. When they, I guess that area used to be like German town. You know, yeah, second area. Yeah, yeah, a little sausage joint next to the German store. Yeah, I mean, it's a little tiny. It's half the size of this office. Right, right. So yeah, i got to check it out. Like yeah, um, what does it take to become successful in your business? Persistence. Longevity, um, unapologetically focused, <laughs> um, personality, uh, kindness, um, knowing who you are, knowing what you stand mm-hmm. for, even when your own family, in some cases, don't agree, owning who you are. Owning what you stand for. Sometimes we know, but we don't own it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's true. How do you get yourself to own who you are? I think sometimes it's just, it comes with time. I don't. I don't. I can't speak for every artist or for everyone else, but I know for me, it was a time where I said, "Okay, it's okay to pat myself on the back." Yeah. You know, it's all right. It's okay to do that. And once I started to do that and appreciate even the small things. Then when then when everything else came, I was like, okay, I'm here. I'm me. I'm ready. That's neat. <laughs> so who is Rory Clark? Rory Clark is just a ball of passion, ready to just splatter across your screen. <laughs> <laughs> no else yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. And a very kind young man. Kindness rocks. Kindness counts. I tell my kids, kindness counts. It does. It goes a long way. Very important in life. All right. Last words. we got two and a half minutes. So what's a fun fact people might not know about you? A fun fact that people might not know about. Something people wouldn't expect. You secretly play with puppets. I don't know. Tell them what's a fun fact. Ah, man. Interesting. Um... I think I like to wear loud underwear. <laughs> that's a good fact. I like to wear loud underwear. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. If it's Skittles underwear, give it to me. I'll, I'll, I'll Superman wear. underwear? Yeah, yeah. Something like that. I'll just, you know. So you're not a tidy whitey man? No. Glory. <laughs> Who does that? Still. Who does that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so last words. Last words of advice. One or two sentences for our listeners. Embrace. Embrace the grind. Mm. Embrace the grind. Especially if you're here in New York City, love it. Because this is what this city was built on. So it's nothing to complain about. It's something to embrace. Because everybody that lives here is a grinder. That's it. Brace the grind. Rory, thank you. You're thank amazing. You, it was so much fun. Thank you. I'm really grateful. So, everybody, um, Rory Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E. You can find him on IMDb and YouTube. That was an amazing interview. Um, Embrace the Grind from Rory Clark. And till next week, talk to you soon.
has been Tracy L. Slatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week. <laughs>